The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's eight minutes past eight. Uh, the Forum at eight this morning, we're looking at a very unusual subject, I'm sure, for many of you. And uh, we're asking a question that we hope that you will be able to help us answer. And that is, what makes a person a serial killer? 891 We will be taking your calls later on. But what we want from you at this point is to... Listen and learn as we speak to the experts. Moses Sitola, Cedric Market, David Radinseni, Jimmy Maketla, Bulelani Mapai, the list goes on and on. These are just five men who are serial killers, who have shaken communities to their core, ushering in a new era of fear, suspicion and mistrust. What deep hidden secrets, though, makes them lust for blood, as some say? What can possibly motivate a person to kill over and over again, some with no guilt or remorse, hint of human compassion what makes a person a serial killer this is a question we ask on the forum this morning earlier on I spoke to Dr. Lois Olifu who is a clinical consulting and forensic psychologist I started off by asking her if serial killing is a widespread phenomenon well, I think serial killers are widespread not only in South Africa but in all the countries because a serial killer is a bit different from some the normal you know, homicides or you know that type of thing. The problem with the serial killers is they are the nightmares, I think, of uh, law enforcement agencies because the motivation for a serial killer is what we call intrapsychic. It's internal. It's not the normal motivations that you would get because they kill people that they don't even know. So their motivation stems from pathology that is inside of them. For example, a serial killer that had a certain problem in childhood might, because of that problem, now start killing people that are associated with that type of problem or symbolically associated. Mm. Dr. Elfie, have you had interactions with uh, serial, killer, serial killers before? Yes, I've had interaction with them. I, uh, I started my career of working in the, the uh, Department of Correctional Services. I took a, a special interest in serial killers because of the symbolic killing, etc., that they do. When you say symbolic killing, what do you mean? And just if you could just give us your experiences from the beginning when you started and if whether they changed later on as you got to have so-called intimate knowledge of serial killers. I started off working with, with them when they were caught in the prisons. And then when my career went on, I started doing forensic work. So then I got to evaluate a lot of them in, 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 the, in, a, in a forensic setting. So what were your thoughts about them? What did you observe? What makes a serial killer a serial killer? What makes a serial killer a serial killer is because of an intrapsychic pathology that is inside of them. So what they then do is they start killing certain people in certain categories that present for them certain things in their own mind. That, that's got nothing to do actually with the person they kill. A good example of this would be, for example, if you think of the Boston Strangler. He started, he was a serial killer, he started killing prostitutes. The reason for that is that many times uh, these people come out of an environment where they, the mother or family, were prostitutes and that they became very angry because the mother figure was there. So the prostitutes that the person then kills 
has nothing to do with the person they kill, but with a certain category towards which the anger is directed. What What is the trigger? If somebody, as you say, describe, grew up with a, a prostitute for a mother or a relative or is angry generally about female yeah. figures, but then as he or she grows up later on, starts acting out that anger, what is the trigger? It's very difficult because the, the trigger can lay dormant for a long time. So what, what may happen, for example, is that I'm thinking of one person that I evaluated where what he did is he, um, he was sexually abused as a child. He was then, he had a problem with sexuality. And he, he started, he grew up, everything was fine. He could ignore his sexuality while he was in school and he grew up. But then one day what happened is that some a prostitute accosted him in the street. She confronted him with sexuality. And that was the trigger to start killing people because of the sexuality of that. He went further and he killed quite a few prostitutes because of that. How many of the people around them, their family, their friends, if they had any friends or, or even family that they interacted with, knew that they were serial killers? Very few. In fact, the serial killer is it's often a shock to the family, etc., when they are caught. Why? It's because they have what we call in psychology alter egos. In other words, they have one persona that they present to the world and they have another persona that they would present when they are killing people. They become somebody else. And just finally, can serial killers be helped? I'm I'm a very positive psychologist. I would never say that somebody can never be helped. But Serial killing, people with a serial killing has very, a very serious pathology. So it would mean extreme intense therapy with those people to actually try and help them. And that is uh, Dr. Louise Olifier, a clinical consulting and forensic psychologist. We are joined now in the studio by world-renowned private detective Pete Bailefelt, as you know, Brigadier Pete Bailefeld retired from the SAPS at the end of June 2010 and has a long and outstanding career, including um, arresting serial killers. A very good morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us. It's it's quite an honor having uh, observed your work for such a long time. We also have on the line... um, Dr. Yaki Devet, he's a lecturer from um, the Criminology and Forensic Studies Department at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Good morning to you, Doctor. Dr. Yaki Devet, do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Okay, and we also have on the line, we are waiting for him. Uh, He has said he's coming to the studio, uh, still on his way. He's a reformed killer and gangster, Joshua Nkomo. A very good morning to you, Mr. Nkomo. We have you on the line. Perhaps I should start with you. The the descriptions that Dr. Olifir was giving, the categorization of a serial killer, I understand, is you've got to have killed two or three more people at different places, and you say you don't regard yourself as a serial killer, but a reformed killer. Why? If you can please turn your radio off as well. So why do you consider yourself a, a reformed killer, not a serial killer? 
Well, you know what? I don't regard me as a celebrity as I was talking yesterday. Right? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. We're listening. Yeah, I was against that. Look, uh, the situation uh, starts where I grew up. Right? You must understand my mother is from Devon. My father is from Zimbabwe. Right? Mm. So where my father has married two wives. And at home we were 29. Right? So you must understand my father is he was uneducated, and my father he was working at Mastala City Council on that time. You understand? Mm. So uh, he didn't. My father he, he can't afford all of us. You must understand. Uh, we have to do some things for ourselves to eat, and then uh, myself I was I was starting to do. Uh, let me say, I was starting to 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 to, to be a criminal at, at school at the age of ten years, and then uh, my school at the age of twelve years, they were chasing me away. They were calling first my family and talk to my family, and they gave me second chance. And then, uh, and then second chance, I was still like the way they know me, and then they chased me away. And then my family sent me to another school to I go there, and then there I was worse. I was even searching uh, mistress. Pairs, and then I was storing books, books from the children which they were my classmates. But I want to understand, Mr. Nkomo, you started killing at the age of what? Because you were arrested at the age of 14, but then you had killed four people. When did you start killing? Uh, I started killing at the age of 18 years. My first murder. And I understand that uh, the crimes themselves were very terrible. It's being reported that, do you, and you can tell us if it's true or not, that you actually cut off somebody's head and put it in a bag and gave it to the mother. Yeah. But it's not, it was not in my location. It was in Vanderfeld, the education Vanderfeld. So where it was not where I stayed. And I... I, I went there just because I, I I ran away from my home. So and then I met a friend by the name of Hanaman. What and makes said, a person do that kind of thing? I met a man with the name of Hanaman. Uh, you understand? Mm. So that man, uh, he is the man. Uh, you know what man? The COVID has stopped. That man he was my friend. I, I met him in prison. It was my friend. And then I went where he stayed. And then after that, that man, he was, he was a gangster we belong. So there is a man, there were a man there. That man, he was a, he was a boss of another gangster. You see? So, that man, he was stabbing me with a knife. You see? Yeah, that man was stabbing me with a knife, you see? So, and then after that, he, he took my girlfriend. And after taking my girlfriend, you see? After taking my girlfriend, uh, I decided, I, I decided to kill him that man, you see. And you killed three more times after that. How how did after it feel? You didn't after feel after bad about it? No, that time I was young, you see. That time I was young, man, you see. I was young, 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 young. And I, I was also against that. My okay. mind, it, it was not, it, it, my mind, it, it was not like that. that, 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 that okay. 
think like now we understand that. All right. Um, I'm, going was to, young. I'm going to bring in Detective uh, Pete Bell, Brigadier Pete Belfold, into this now. We were listening to the descriptions of uh, Dr. Olifir about what makes or the characteristics of a serial killer. As I mentioned, that it has been said that you have to have killed two or more people at different places, and uh, her should I say analysis was that the mother figure often is a domineering person or the mother there's some shame related to the mother from what Mr. Ngoma is saying is that he killed four people because for him it was criminally motivated the serial killers that you've dealt with during my career I dealt I've arrested basically nine people nine serial killers and nine different cases and I must say I've all these, these cases, the mothers were the dominating factor. That's, that is so. But also in the role that the mother played, like for instance, Bongani Mifeka, the so-called Kranskop serial killer, his mother actually brought some woman into the house that, she could, that he could have sex with her in her presence. Like uh, Lazarus Masangani, the so-called Nasek serial killer, he was born in prison. And that's where it normally develops a sort of, uh, I would say, hatred against the mothers. And that's what my personal experience was. Now, your bid to catch them, how do you get into a serial killer's mind to be able to track down, to understand the motive? Because I, I've heard you say that once you understand what the motive is, catching the killer then becomes easier. I can assure you, if you establish a motive, by 70% of cases definitely will track down a serial killer. Bear one thing in mind, I've also experienced all most of the serial killers operated in a radius of about one kilometer from the homestead or the area where they actually staying and they were, that area is well known to them also the victims, they definitely they picked the victims the boat where they built and why they were dressed and that's how they operate basically You have been looked for in terms of consultation by people like FBI, Scotland Yard so as I said you were a world renowned uh, serial killer uh, hunter, detective, whatever but you've said that there's something peculiar about serial killers in South Africa that they're not the same as others in other parts of the world why? I would say definitely South Africa I, certain of the people that I dealt with uh, they've also they, their mind thinking I, I picked it up differently and why they think it's a bit different from the outside from Europe countries and so on and also I, to a certain extent also in the manner that we brought up. It's also completely different. As What's different though? What, what do others do? What, and it sounds strange saying mm -hmm. this. What do serial killers in other countries do that they don't do here in South Africa? What do South African serial killers do that doesn't happen in other countries? Yeah, basically what I, what I would establish is other countries that people are employed. And what I would establish in, in my case is all these people were unemployed. And most of the cases overseas are definitely the, the ordinary people working from day to day. And that's where the one definitely mm. one point that I've established and I've highlighted. I also just want to make it one thing for honest percent clear. A serial killer, if, if you arrive on a crime since after one murder has been com committed, in a manner that person has been murdered and rapes or plays a role also, then you can immediately at that stage establish the possibility of a serial killer. And also normally when the second body has been found in the same area, then you must know definitely a serial killer as at large. In the, I've experienced most of my most of the cases, most of the killers, most of the bodies, the women that they've murdered, is a very close 
radius of where the first body was found. Dr. Yaki Devet, you have said that it's a shame that there's not enough reliance on uh, psych, uh, psych uh, what do you call it, psychologists or even forensic psychology in the search or hunt for serial killers? Um, yes, uh, um, unfortunately, um, you know, there is a, a wealth of experience within the police force and um, outside the police force that it, it is untapped. Um, uh, as as Brigadier Bailefelt would have said, to hunt serial killers and to construct usable profiles of them is quite complex. Um, and sometimes the police don't use all the um, uh, all the resources um, at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that is unfortunately a, a bit of an issue sometimes. Um, just one thing, if I if I may, um, I know Dr. Willifee, uh, She she spoke about the Boston Strangler. Um, he um, he did not kill prostitutes. Um, that was not his, his his profile. So, but that's just the um, as a side note. Uh, but but I, I want you to talk to us about the serial killers that you have worked with, and if there was anything that because I think as as, as people, our, our fascination with serial killers is. Really, how do people like this live within our societies and we're unable to detect them? Uh, and we have this vision of them looking like monsters. Yes, uh, that unfortunately comes from it being popularized, you know, for, the, uh, for TVs and movies um, in that instance. Uh, in general, they are the normal guy on the street. You will walk past them and you won't even know. Um, the term of a serial killer always... Um, elicits these very primal responses with individuals and like you said people then always think it's this madman with bloodshot eyes running around at night you know killing people randomly um, and that is not the case um, from the serial killers that I worked with um, along with some other researchers as well uh, we found them to be normal um, they would be very uh, easy to talk to um, in the interviews they would be uh, open to your questions and so forth so the whole idea about this crazed madman running around, um, that is more in terms for you. Mm. I'm going to take a quick break, but options. just before we do that, are there characteristics that are common amongst them? Because I'm just looking at some of the profiles that have been set up. I mean, they talk about uh, bedwetting. They talk about hypocritical parents who perhaps belittle the child, peer rejection. They talk about pyromania. Are, are those well, similar um, characteristics? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, um, there was research done originally. Um, it's called the McDonald Triad, um, where they found that when they looked into the history of serial killers, they found that um, it's either bedwetting, animal torture, or fire starting, or either three of the two, or in various combinations, were evident within their histories. Um, now that is was universally seen as one of the indicators, but again. A lot of people um, do suffer from enuresis, which is, is bedwetting, but they don't go on to be serial killers. So to say there are general, broad characteristics that you can um, equate to all serial killers, that is very, very dangerous because, um, as uh, Richard Bailefeld indicated, although most serial killers do have some form of overbearing mother or overbearing paternal figure, um, for every one person that um, that 
does exhibit that within their actual background. There are 100 other people that have exactly the same principles, and um, but they don't turn out to be serial killers. Okay, so, so we'll no talk about that in just a moment. What makes a person then become a serial killer? We're going to take a quick break. Um, as I mentioned, Joshua Nkomo is um, coming up to the studio. He is here. He is a reformed killer or serial killer. He says that he's a reformed killer, not serial killer. So we'll be taking your calls as well after the news headlines. 0891-104-208. Once again, Ned Bank, together with the National Four Business Chamber, the NSBC, is asking South Africa to celebrate Small Business Friday on the 6th of September. And that bank calls upon everyone in South Africa, from consumers, corporate and government, to show their support to the small business sector, the heartbeat of the economy. We also encourage small business owners to join us in amplifying this call to action. So join me, Ashraf Garda, for a live broadcast of Morning Talk from the Maboneng Precinct in Joburg CBD this Friday, the 30th of August, as we get ready to celebrate the 2013 Small Business Friday. And be part of Vote Small Business. Vote with your heart, feet and wallet. Think of a small business in your community when making a purchase. Not only on the 6th of September, but every other day. Tax season is open. And with the threshold being increased this year, not every taxpayer needs to submit a tax return. We took to the streets to find out if taxpayers know whether they need to file a return or not. I'm not sure. I know I need to submit a tax return. That much I know. So I've never ever been late to a tax return. That's the bottom line. <laughs> but if I'm supposed to pay, I have to pay. Um, um, what's the tax threshold again? Tax season is open. And if you earn less than 250,000 rand a year from only one employer and don't have any additional income or deductions, you may not have to submit a tax return. Visit sars.gov.za or call 0800-00-SARS to check whether you qualify. SARS, at your service. For 21 years, September in Joburg has been Arts Alive Time, a time for a feast of spoken word and big poetry. Join us for two nights of a blend of seasoned artists and wordsmiths from across the continent, featuring the flourishers from the UK, Jar 9 with Rory Stone Love from Jamaica, Harari's Indie Hip Hop at the Mighty Nars, and many more. Brought to you by the city of Johannesburg, stitching together a more integrated city, part of the city's 21 years of Arts celebration. For more information, go to artsalife.co.za. When Polani received an award for his remarkable work as an eye specialist, tears came to my eyes, as I knew the next day his capable hands would be at work to restore my blood vision, because the Government Employees Medical Scheme had approved my cataract operation. That's how GEMS made a difference in my life. Let GEMS make a difference to you. Contact us by dialing star 120 star 4367 hash on your cell phone. T's and C's and cell phone rates apply. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Your 8.30 news headlines now with Fubakshini Chetty. Good morning. Labor Union Solidarity says it's to start separate wage talks with gold producer Village Main Reef today. Wage talks between the four unions representing workers in the gold sector and the Chamber of Mines have deadlocked. The Tripartite Alliance's long-awaited summit will discuss leadership divisions and economic policy differences that have besieged it when it gets underway today. The ANC, Kasatu and SACP will be meeting over the next three days as part of preparations for next year's elections. 
also other stories dominating headlines this morning. The city of Cape Town says it has deployed traffic officials to help motorists in various areas affected by flooding in the peninsula. Heavy rains and gale force winds have been lashing the region in the past few days and will continue until tomorrow. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 24 minutes to 9, we continue with our conversation. We're asking the, the question, what makes a person a serial killing? Conversation with Dr. Dr. Yaki Devet, who's a lecturer on criminology and forensic studies at UKZN. Brigadier Pete Bellefelt is a private detective, retired from the SAPS, but uh, as we mentioned, a long-standing, illustrious career catching uh, serial killers and other criminals, and uh, reformed killer and gangster Joshua Nkomo. Uh, on the way up to the studio to join us. But just, uh, we spoke uh, earlier on, uh, or should I say in about 2007, to George uh, Tumwangeze Jingaila. Now, he was found guilty of raping 57 women, making him one of the country's worst serial offenders in terms of rape. Jingaila was also found guilty of kidnapping, robbery and assault. The 10-month trial saw more than 120 witnesses testifying. According to the state, Jingaila's crime spree spanned 10 years up to the day of his arrest in August 2004. He lured the women to deserted places, telling them his employer had a vacancy for a female person. He would then take them to mine dumps and fields where he raped and robbed them of their possessions. We spoke to Jingaila before sentencing. This is what he had to say at the time. I mean, I don't feel like you know, I can be fined guilty in case, just because I don't see any crowns. Oh, young girl. Just because in fact, I haven't forced anyone. You don't need the agreement. If one night stand, it's rape, okay, then, then it could be changed into rape. No, I, I, I couldn't count them one night stand. Mm-hmm. What, what I said on, on my vision, the time being said, I said, Mfitu, I cannot deny what if they have been raped, but they're making a mistake, not me. We are done. Who do want to be to No, me for me. On my behalf, I don't see anything wrong, Mfitu. That's Jingaila basically saying that he didn't see anything wrong with his actions, uh, saying that uh, these women agreed to be in his company and uh, he considered them one night stands and uh, on his sentencing when he was found guilty of raping 57 women, making him one of the country's worst serial rape offenders, this is what he had to say after he was sentenced. I don't want to talk to anyone right now. I just need to talk to my mother. Please give me time. There is no one that I can talk to now besides my mother. She is the one who should know first. It doesn't help me to talk to you. What are you going to help me with? That is why I say I want to talk to my mother. My mother is the only person that can tell me what to do next. From now on, what can we do? One thing for sure, I cannot stay in prison. Okay, that's uh, considered one of the worst serial rape offenders in the country. Now, just to come back to my guests, as I said, we are still waiting for Joshua. Hopefully he'll get to any minute, uh, just because we really want to get to understand from a personal perspective what goes on in a person's mind. And perhaps uh, to come back to you, Brigadier Bailefeld, what were your findings? Were, 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 were any of these people going out to rape women? When you interacted with them, how do you treat them? How do, you, uh, what did they say? Were they willing to be found, arrested? 
uh, as I say, I've dealt with several of them. I've always treated them with respect. That was my priority number one. At the end of the day, I wasn't there to judge. And that's why we've got the, the courts in our country. And I felt in the manner that I treated them, that's how I get more information. They opened more, more frequently to me and even admitted crimes that I wasn't even aware of and pointed crime scene, murder scenes out that I didn't investigate that time. And the, the way you approach people must be with respect. And if they need some assistance, please, you must listen to them and see where you can accompany them. But some, one of the guys even, I've given him a, a, a suit just to go to court as, as, as respectable because I couldn't see him going to court and that they appreciated. Mm. But at the end of the day in court, he gave me an excuse for expression. That was a completely different situation. They actually tried to set him alight as well. But the main objective, in all my cases, rape is not the main objective. Definitely not. The, the, the whole motive behind is to kill the person. But what they also enjoy, like, uh, like uh, Larson's Mazzagani mentioned to me, he what they enjoyed while strangling the, the, these women with their clothes or on, of, of, of some of the equipment, they had, uh, clothing they had with them. He enjoyed them strangling them, and while strangling them, he was basically raping them. I mean, in that process, he enjoyed it when she was dying at the end of the day and was raping her also in the same, same, hmm. during the same time. We're taking calls on 891 uh, If you could just uh, be brief in your questions, 891 just dealing with a high volume here. Um, Dr. Devet, it's fascinating to hear Brigadier Bailafold saying you need to treat them with respect to their people. And I can probably hear a lot of listeners saying, what? Uh, people who do such animalistic things. So if, if you could just tell us then what are the internal or external factors? That, what, what's the difference between you and I and someone who then becomes a serial killer? Are they psychopaths? Um, are they people, do they decide to become that? If you could explain it to us. Ah, sure. Um, well, you know, the first thing that we have to be very careful about is throwing around the word psychopath because, mm. you know, there are several connotations to that and to the term that um, although they might have psychopathic traits in terms of flat effect, uh, very shallow emotions, that doesn't necessarily make them psychopaths. Um, in all likelihood, it'll probably be more leaning towards what's known as antisocial personality disorder than, um, you know, pure psychopaths. Um, in, in terms of treating them with respect, I mean, that goes without saying. Um, I've, having spoken to some of the serial killers myself, uh, if you go into the room like Brigadier Bailefeld said, um, you know, without showing that measure of respect, they, they do close down. And, um, you know, they, uh, although they have committed heinous crimes that uh, we all um, can agree on, you know, you do have to, to treat them with a modicum of respect because that does mean that you build, res- that you build a rapport and you can get more information out, um, you know, from them. What triggers um, them? What, what sets them off? Um, well, you know, Serial killers and serial rapists, for that matter, they do have what's called trigger events, something um, that sets them off. Um, in the case of serial rapists, it can be um, if a woman, for argument's sake, stands up to him or um, rebuffs his advances, then that can set him into the eventualities of the actual rape. Um, in the case of serial murderers, um, that all depends on the individual serial killer, per se. Um, you know, we do know that there are triggering stresses. It can be anything from they can, woke up, they can wake up in a bad mood to 
to walking down the street and someone catches their fancy that fits their idea and their specific victim profile, you cannot say in general what triggers them. It'll um, for the, each individual, it's in, um, it's specific individualistic triggers that do set them off. Right. Um, in terms of that, um, in terms of the internal processes, you know, um, I know Dr. Willie in the beginning mentioned the whole interpsychic, and that to a certain extent is true. You know, people we are. Um, uh, we are uh, um, our internal processes, but those internal processes and those internal um, interpsychic processes don't happen in a social vacuum. You know, there are social interactions as well. There's school, there is family members, there is friends, there's girlfriends, there's outside of this. So to just imply that it's all internal and it's all interpsychic, that's very a, a very minimalistic way of looking at it because right. you have serial killers that have the best background in the world, loving mother and father, no real social issues, but they turn out to be serial killers. Uh, one mm-hmm. that comes to mind is Ted Bundy. So, you know, it's what makes them and what uh, um, what constitutes a serial killer. It's very, very, it's actually more complex than people would think. Right. And it's Thanks. always easy to sort of say, isn't there a psychopath? Dr. David, thanks a lot. Uh, we're taking calls 0891104288. We have just been joined in the studio by Mr. Joshua Nkomo. A very good morning to you, Mr. Nkomo. We'll come back to you in just a moment to speak about your experiences. Uh, but we have Bohosi and Mbusa on the line. If I could ask you to please be brief. Bohosi, good morning. Uh, good morning, Tabithu Manak. Hi, um, Yeah. Um, can you ask one of the uh, doctors? There to define a uh, psychopath, and if a psychopath is incorrigible, and whether a, a serial killer is of necessity a psychopath. Mm. Okay, Dr. Duvet has just dealt with that, but perhaps if he's got something to add, yeah. I'll uh, I get him to respond to that. Mbuso in KZN. Thank you, Papi. So, just mm. from a stereotypical point of view, um, it, it has it has always uh, appeared to be that uh, a serial killer, is killer appears to be a black man um, and, and those who catch them appear to be white, which, which I must say that uh, your panel seems to affirm the stereotype. I just want to ask a question directly to say that is there something intrinsic about um, you know, you know the, 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 race the race of a person. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, thanks, Mbuso. point of view. All right. Thanks a lot, Mbuso. Um, I, I think the the the, the literature says mm-hmm. different, doesn't it, uh, Brigadier Bellafold? If we look at just even worldwide statistics of serial killers, yeah. it doesn't project that. Definitely, because I also my career I also dealt with white. Guys also been serial killers, the national serial killers, and a poli- white policeman was also arrested in Norwood, also a serial killer. And the victims, is there any um, similarity? Does a white serial killer go for black I mean, victims or white victims? Is there that kind of thinking yeah, that is. That, but that, that's what I picked up the white, all the white people, serial killers I dealt with, they mostly went for white people. But the black serial killers, they went for white and black. Indian, doesn't matter who it was. Okay. Mr. Ngoma, let's come back to you. During your incarceration, I believe that uh, you were in isolation with Moses Seton, yes. one of the biggest serial killers uh, in this country's history. Your interaction, I mean, it, it's funny or wrong for me to say this, from serial killer to serial killer. I know you don't regard yourself as a serial killer, but you've killed more than four people. For some, for some people, that is the definition. People then begin to wonder... What kind of things did you talk about? Uh, I can say, you know, uh, 
I have been killed two people outside and two in prison, inside the prison. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know what, uh, to kill two people outside, I was against her. And uh, I was supposed to save my life. And the two you killed inside the prison? I was also against her inside the prison. Mm. And then uh, I, I was supposed also to save my life inside the prison. Okay. Because, you know what, we are different gangsters in prison. And then I'm also one part of a gangster and then one part of a gangster, you see. And then on that time, white, you know, most uh, our country was belonging under white people. Eh? Mm. So on that time, uh, white people, they take big five, one, I talk about gang, prison gangsters. Mm. Big five, one side, 28, one side, 26, one side, Air Force, maybe one side, like, just like that. Eh? So uh, my gangster in prison, I was a big five. Mm-hmm. So, which means I was a peacemaker inside the prison. I was fighting for peace because we do different things as we are different gangsters inside the prison. Did Moses Sitole belong to one? No, Moses Sitole, you know what? Let me tell you about a little bit about Moses Sitole. Moses Sitole was doing five years. And I was with Moses Sitole on that time. I was singing a choir with Moses Sitole. Moses Sitole, he was, he was sentenced five years for a, for a rape he didn't do. When we must understand. Mm. Moses Sitole, he was commit, he, he was sentenced five years for a rape he didn't commit. And Moses Sitole, he was with me at prison. So what, 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 what are the things that he said to you about the reasons he killed? Who, Moses Sitole? Mm. Moses Sitole, he was a type of a guy I like to sit and, you know, talk, talk about, yeah. And then uh, Moses Itole killed, to be a serial killer, it was just, just because of Moses Itole, he was saved five years for a rape he didn't commit. Hmm. So Moses Itole, he allowed his heart to overpower his, ma- his mind. Hmm. That's why Moses Itole come outside and, and, and start to be a serial, a serial killer, maybe to satisfy his, his heart. But what was he angry about? He was angry because he was in prison for, 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 for something he did not he do. He didn't go in, yeah. And uh, that's something, let's say, it destroyed his life. Because Moses Tole, before he go in prison, he was working, you understand, for his family. So before he, he go in prison for five years, mm. yeah. I'm going to come back to uh, Brigadier Belfeld in just a moment. But for you, what changed you around? From uh, And I want you to tell me, when you killed people, you said you didn't see anything wrong. What, what changed for you from killing people that you say you are trying to protect yourself to then moving on to saying that I see what I'm doing wrong? You know, uh, I start to see this in prison. But you have to understand, I, I start first into being in prison, I do 32 years uh, to habitual criminal. Maybe the breaker didn't know what what, what, what means, uh, mm. how I start, you understand. And then after that, I go outside. I commit also another crime. I go in prison. They give me 30 years, and I found seven or six months inside the prison. You understand what I mean? Just because of uh, my things, what I was doing, stepping other uh, inmates, you know, fighting with members inside the prison. You see. But what changed for you? Are you a different person? Do you think you'll ever go back to that kind of life? Yes, I can guarantee you, uh, maybe a million times. That you'll never do that again. Uh, yeah. Why? You know what? I was telling myself inside the prison. I can say to go in prison for me and to do all these things, maybe to be in prison it was a blessing in disguise. Let me, let me put it mm. that way. Because I sit in prison for seven years, for seven and a half years, isolation. 
So many things start to come there to think about my life. My mm. mother die, my father die. You understand? Mm, mm, mm. Uh, okay. So let me then come to you, Brigadier Bailafold. Um I'm going to take two last callers: 0891104208. What uh, Mr. Ngoma is describing here about Moses Sitole, does that, you know, it, it, does it synchronize with any of the interactions that you had, and 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 just generally the behaviour of people who have ended up in that kind of life. Now, I found this very strange about Moses Tolle because I, my personal opinion, I couldn't see that that's the only reason why that leads him to be a serial killer. He couldn't be why must he be so upset just for that reason he sends the prison actually, for crime didn't commit. There was definitely something else in his childhood that also must have happened. And you never got to find that out? No, I was unfortunately not involved mm. in the investigation mm. of that case. But is there anything of the serial killers that you dealt with that you think we would find surprising to know? Yeah, this, just one thing I've also got to highlight. Some of the cases bear one thing in mind. They first write first and later lie this guy. And then, then they start killing. During this process of killing also, if the lady say, for instance, beg them, please let me go. But some, like Cedric Mark, he would even give them some money for taxi to go home. So they've got a different type of... Uh, act. Sometimes they can approach women in a very aggressive way, or they can be lenient and gentle as well. But the main thing is you have to treat them with respect. Msami, in uh, Durban, I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Devet. A very good morning. Yes, good morning, Chief. So uh, I hear the story of Moses Sitole, uh, and I'm reminded of the stories I've heard of people who just been convicted for rebating commit. It's particularly one young man who's been in prison for quite a while, has been molested himself, and and and, and that guy has already crossed the Rubicon. Uh, if he did anything like that, because that's how they say, rather than be convicted for something I didn't do. Let me rather do it. I <coughs> they used to be prison life. Okay. So for him, for them, there is nothing really to do. All right, thanks a lot, Mr. So you can go back and live that life. I'm going to read some SMSs. Uh, this one uh, is anonymous. And Dr. Devet, this is where you can help. It says, hi, please don't mention my name. I'd like to watch, I like to watch good-looking ladies, and my room is full of nude pictures of ladies and the pictures of good-looking girls. Even in my phone, I want to know if I am being a serial killer or what, or do I need to help, or is there something, nothing to worry? about. On Facebook, Eric Balibanye says they murder people, go to the so-called prison, with, which is a five-star hotel, taxpayers billions spent on them, get released after a few years showing a fake remorse, get airtime on SAFM claiming to be motivational speakers. It's painful, I know, says Eric. Tyrone Mbaloi writes that it's a psychological condition in the African community. The mental illness is not really taken serious. Your response to those, uh, Dr. Tavet? Um, well, the first one that said that he likes to look at beautiful women and sometimes even naked women, um, fantasies, you know, everyone has fantasies. Um, you know, that is a normal way of life. Everyone has fantasies about some, type of, uh, um, some form of sexual fantasy, and that does not make you a serial killer. Um, yes, it has found that serial killers have some very intrinsic and some very um, specific fantasies to them, but just because you have sexualized fantasy doesn't make you a serial killer. But what prompts that serial behavior for, for somebody to uh, do something of that nature in a manner which is serial? From one ordinary person to the next, we were talking about anger. Why are people who become serial killers unable to 
have mechanisms to deal with their anger or behavior which they know is wrong, but they do it perpetually? Well, the thing you have to remember is um, then you have to start looking back into the whole development. You know, where does a person's, you know, um, how does a person's personality development, uh, um, you know, what factors influence that? Um, if we can use the word normal development, you know, you go through, through various stages where you develop hope, um, mechanisms for dealing with aberrant types of emotions and so forth. Okay. Uh, um, these stages of development. But for serial killers and, and, and serial rapists, for that matter, is these developments are um, interrupted in a certain way, and they then internalize those feelings, um, and that then builds up what's known as this tension, um, this in intrinsic tension. Um, that if eventually, that's the only way that they can feel normal. Um, that's the way that they express themselves, and that they go about um, feeling who um, and what they are. Okay, I'm going so, to take um, one last. Yes, sorry, no. I'm going to take one last caller, Mac in Cape Town. I'm, I'm going to ask you to please keep it brief as well. Hi, Mac. Hi, uh, morning. I just wanted to ask um, uh, about two questions. Was, the first one I want to ask is um, why does uh, it take the... So long the, to catch. Yeah, uh, a bit long to catch them, I mean, before they catch them. And then the, the last question I want to ask is... Um, it, it, is um, did did um, uh, these uh, serial killers? Uh, is it true that the the rate has uh, um, risen uh, after the abolish abolishment of uh, the death penalty? Okay, all right, thanks, Mike. Uh, Brigadier Bailfeld. Yeah, first, your first question definitely. The reason being, bear once in mind they operate on their own, not even their wives or family members knew what they, what they were doing. I also understand that serial killers are of high intelligence. Highly intelligent, well-spoken, well-dressed. And, and I can assure you, that's why it's so difficult. It's like one of my cases took me four years. It's not a serial killer. Mm. Because it's difficult to practice people. So you have to be, you have to do your work thoroughly, properly, and the investigation. But it's a tough call. To but you say that some of them want to be found. That's it. You know, like, uh, for instance, Bongani Fika, he pleaded guilty in high court and Peter Manesworth. And he was pleased to be found. And he even asked me to testify on his behalf and tell the judge, please don't let the judge let me out because I know for a fact I'm going I'm to do going it to again. Kill. Okay. And I suppose this is where, to end the program, Mr. Nkoma, we come back to you. Uh, as you see, Eric is saying that, you know, yeah, these people go to prison and then they come out and they get airtime and SFM. And I know people are probably critical of why we're even doing this program. But why should people believe you when you say, I'll never do this again? You said, I can assure you one million times. What is it in you that knows? Is it because you no longer have the desire or you never had the desire to kill? How do you know that you won't go back to what you did before? No, let me tell you, you know what, you have to, you have to fix yourself when you are in prison. And you prison won't fix you, prison won't change you, mm. but you have to tell yourself. Does yourself. prison make you worse, do you think? Yeah, prison make you worse because we meet with different people, with different crime, with different experience. As I come with a car now, somebody call me, tell me his, his kid, his, he, he do three years, but they mix that kid with people who are doing life sentences, mm. you know, 50 years. I told him, no, I, I can't solve that problem, but you have to go to prison and ask. But you know what? To be in prison, you be with different people, with different crime. You be with Colin Chauke. You understand what I mean? Colin Chauke was there for, 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 for his... When they talk about you, it's your... It's your maybe I'm 30 years old. Colin Chauke is 30 years old. Colin Chauke told me about this car was driving outside. When I'm coming outside, I want to do 
What do you have to say finally to people who are struggling within themselves to maybe they know they're doing crime now and they're scared that they're going to continue doing it or they are in prison and they want to stop doing it. They don't want to come out and do the same thing. What do you say to them? Uh, what I can say to them, you know what, uh, we know uh, outside here there is no job, we struggle, we do what, but you know what, uh, I think you must sit down and think, and I think you must tell yourself inside your heart, God give you a second chance to come outside, so which means God, he can, you can also pray God will give you a plan how you can survive okay. to live, and then I will also make him book me an autobiography with my life. Uh, which means to show my fellow inmate brothers so that uh, nothing is impossible if Okay, you so you've written a book. Excellent. And it's called Tsozi No, no More. More. Yes. Excellent. We're going to give out those details on our web page if you want to read it. But thanks a lot to all my guests. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for sharing your experience, your expertise. Uh, Dr. Louis Olifir, we spoke to earlier on. Dr. Yaki Devet, private detective and retired brigadier. Pete Bailerfeld. Uh, reformed killing gangster Joshua Nkomo Thank you very much Thanks to you for all your calls, SMSs, tweets Facebook responses, thank you to the team It's a minute past nine Fabakshini Chetty is going to kill me But uh, time now for full news update with her